This is Deep Natter. In this episode, Sean and I are using a discussion around the visual effects of the Batman as a springboard to talk about tools. We also unpack some of the differences in how we approach the research and selection process for our tools and how, for each of us, a big part of any purchase revolves around worth and the patterns of our parents. Here we go. We're like the we're like the audio version of a Marvel movie. That's right. <laughs> the post credit sequence. They usually do a little thing at the end. Like, just wait, wait. <laughs> uh, next time, I'll just put in thirty seconds of silence. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Just imagine. Yeah. Sometimes there's nothing. Sometimes there's yeah. You, can, you never <laughs> I know. Say, I went to watch. I went to watch the new um, the Batman. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I went with a friend and. Um, He's like, don't, don't leave. And like, it was so long, that film, right? Oh my gosh, um, I know. It was like almost three hours or something. And and, yeah. and and of course, you know, you have to, you have to get a Coke. So I'm, I'm like busting to go to the toilet by the end of it. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 wait, you've got to wait for the post credit sequence. You've got to wait for the post. There's, there's a thing. And my friends have told me there's a thing at the end. It's like, it's really, really important. You've got to wait, you've got to wait. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I promise I'm like almost crying. I'm really like, like it's about to start coming out my eyes. I'm so desperate. Wait, the whole credit sequence and all it says at the end in text is something like, and Batman will return. I'm like, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like the, the thing they do at the end of the James Bond movies. Bond will return. Like, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We know. Cause yeah. you, you'll make my money off him like why why i didn't have to wait for that yeah good grief what did you think of it it was good yeah you know as super i'm not a big fan of superhero movies this was more akin to joker which i really liked i liked that world i liked i liked the more intimate story that they were telling Mm -hmm. and in some ways i think we got we got something similar with reeve's version of batman It, it felt like it was more intimate i mean yes there were a few big set pieces but it didn't feel it didn't feel like over the top, like a Marvel movie. No. Where you have that third act of everybody, you know, dying. And as long as the heroes survive, everything's cool. Yeah. So I felt like it was, it was a, an interesting take on it that way. I don't know. I don't know. It it was good. It wasn't great for me. Yeah. I found, I found Robert Pattinson's haircut slightly distracting. <laughs> I'd like... Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just it's just a bit oily. I'm like, come on, man, that's not that's not Bruce. Is it? You're not in an emo band, are you? Like, what right. what are we doing? Do you know that um, we've talked about? I think we talked about it on the podcast before, like the technology that they use for the Mandalorian with the screens. That same wraparound LED thing, yeah, yeah. They built a massive one for this. So so much of of what you see in terms of cityscapes and car chases and cityscapes out of windows and when they're standing on the construction site having conversations. Uh, with the with the kind of sun setting in the background, all of that are huge. What do they call it? The volume. It's a huge version of the volume that they mm-hmm. had for uh, for the Mandalorian, but like five times the size. So it was massive. But they're obviously deciding to use because I heard Greg Fraser is the cinematographer on the Batman, who's done uh, Dune. I think was one of the last ones he did. He's done a bunch. He's he's a really talented guy. Um, he just said like the benefits of using that system. You just can't, you just can't calculate it. If they tried to shoot that stuff outdoors, um, the light changes in, in, you know, minutes. So either you nail the scene in one take or you have to come back multiple days. Right. So sometimes they'd have to do this thing where if you've got a dialogue scene, the light looks great for one character at sunrise, but to shoot the reverse angle of that conversation, you need to wait to sunset because the light looks better. So you're shooting conversations at two halves, two ends of the day, mm-hmm. to get it looking decent. He's like, we can move the sun. We can do whatever we want in this space. And it will stay exactly like that for as long as we want to. And we can put things exactly where we want. He's like, this is hands down the future of filmmaking now that you can create photorealistic looking backgrounds for your worlds that can be you're not waiting for perfect natural light that's fleeting. You're, you're creating it and you can shoot all day in exactly the same conditions. Well, and for the actors, it's, it's gotta be incredibly beneficial for their character and it's more immersive and the whole thing, because you're not now having to go, okay, imagine a sunset. Imagine you're feeling, you know, a lot of light on your, like you can, you can be there in that, in that space and, and react more realistically, more naturally, I would think. Have you heard the uh, interview with Ewan McGregor about the the uh, the Star Wars prequels? Um, 
when George Lucas is back on the helm. Oh no. He says, he said it was back in the, the green screen, blue screen era. Yeah. And it, it was on blue screen. And basically you and McGregor supposed to be in a ship, you know, like flying around. And he says like, it was just the weirdest situation because he's in a completely blue room sitting on a blue box. That's it. That's all he's got. Oh wow. Pretending to hold a steering wheel and move around. And he's got George Lucas from off camera shouting at him going, look at the moons, look at the moons. <laughs> like, and he's kind of <laughs> such a weird... But now, like you say, cause Zoe Kravitz was talking about the interview. She's like, it's amazing. You can stand in these worlds. You can see exactly what they have in their mind's eye. There's no, there's no uh, posts coming in late. And think of the amount of money you're saving in post-production, not having oh, yeah. to create these yeah, yeah, yeah. backgrounds for everything. You get that shot in camera. It's it's really exciting to see what they're going to do. I I think it's going to be... Because the one, one issue I had with The Mandalorian was the size of the volume. And they made such a big deal about this is how they produce this show. They shoot mm-hmm. the behind the scenes mm-hmm. that I found that when I actually got around to watching the show, I noticed that you never saw someone walk very far because they couldn't because right. of the size of the space. Right. So when they walk on camera, it's only ever like five or six steps because they'd probably hit the back wall if they went any further. But what they're doing now, they're creating these huge spaces and warehouses and it's re- it's going to be really exciting. I think with what they're actually going to what they're actually going to produce now. Yeah, with this technology. Yeah, agreed. I, and I can't remember. Was it? Um, gosh, I think it was Oblivion. Kosinski directing Tom uh, Cruise, where they had yes. they they had a similar. It wasn't LED then, but it was a similar kind of advancement of rear projection, where they they were That's able right. to create that big environment. And even then. I remember seeing an interview with Tom Cruise where he was talking about how, how, what a game changer that was in terms of the immersiveness as an actor, being able to see these things and, and, and experience and react to the actual environment. Yeah. So, I mean, fast forward, what's it been a dozen years to now having this massive volume that's, you know, higher resolution, more capable, you know, I think you're right. I think the benefits on both sides, on the tech side and on the performance side are going to be immeasurable moving forward. I think so. I'll send you a link uh, if you want to put it in the show notes. If people yeah, want to please. check out this YouTube video. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went down a rabbit hole after you sent that, uh, after you sent me that um, Star Wars with the sound stuff. It was amazing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just, I just started doing a bunch behind the scenes because I find that world fascinating. I've always wanted to work on a movie set. I've always wanted to be a stills photographer on a set, the behind the scenes stills person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It could be so much fun to do that. Really cool. Now you've seen the the Star Wars thing, and you you had some concerns that the black and white against the color would be a gimmick. Yes. What did you? How did you come away? What did you think? Yeah, it worked for me because, like you said, they 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 all the uh, all the footage. So the interview footage, all the footage they shoot. You know, the Skywalker Ranch footage, the the Foley artists doing their thing. Everything is in black and white. Mm-hmm. It's lovely and contrasty. They've definitely got some grain in there as well. It looks really, really good. And the only color footage is is harkening back to the actual movie footage. Yeah, which I think really works because that's that's saying like, hey, um, we shot this film all in black and white. But obviously, you couldn't turn the Star Wars footage to black and white. Yeah, yeah, sure. sure. Um, so it's so it kind of made it kind of made visual sense to do it that way. And they and obviously, it's beautifully done. Like the, I was looking at some of those shots, wondering how they actually did it. I mean, it's probably like an Ari Alexa or something, but the amount of contrast they put back in, because often that Alexa footage, they leave quite flat mm-hmm. um, nowadays. It's kind of trendy to do that, but they right. crunched that stuff oh, back it was down. Re- it, the whole thing looked like it was shot on HP5 or something. It was just yes. really, really crunchy. And I love that yeah. they let it go. They let the blacks I, go. Yeah. They let the whites blow out in spots. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 it, was really, it was really beautifully done. I mean, for something that's just a little documentary, that's probably only going to live on social media. It's beautifully shot. Yeah, really well done. I, I know that's burrowing a place into your brain. Like you're going to call that up at some point on, on a short film that you're doing or even a long form. You're going to call that up and go, you know what? I remember they did this and it's going to make yeah. its way in somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I have done all black and white videos when I've done features on other photographers. So um, when I shot with Fiona Locke mm-hmm. um, and um, Mavis, so oh yeah, yeah, yeah. One chapter. So, and the reason I did that is because if their photography has a particular aesthetic, I always try and match that 
in mm. the, in the footage mm-hmm. and obviously fiona and mavis both shoot uh like quite contrasty uh black and white and because mavis shoots triax right i even i even added um some organic film grain scans to the footage as well because i just felt like if you're doing it feels of a piece and then when you do flip over to her images during it as well it all kind of feels like her world in her mm-hmm. head you know mm-hmm. it's kind of a nice way to do it yeah, it's an, it's an interesting kind of homage to their world. It's that you're yeah. not you're not duplicating, but you're 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 lessening the friction between ours and theirs. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's like when I shot with Joshua the first time, Jackson. Mm-hmm. I, I I deliberately, you know, crunched the blacks down and punched the colors because that's his. That was especially at the time that was his photography. Right, while he was shooting the Soho stuff. So we went into Soho and we shot similar stuff, and I I crunched that contrast because often my own stuff i'll pull the saturation back a bit right um but here's i pushed it forward because i just want it to feel like that world i love that i think it's uh because it's their film it's not my film you know they're doing most of the talking in it it's about their work it should feel like their world mm. i kind of like that it's cool i uh on the back of talking to you i've been looking at um getting a pro mist just to wander around and do some night mm. stuff in in dc and Know, wherever else I happen to be. Um, and I think what I can do is since I've got m- multiple lenses, would you, would you get something basically as large as my largest lens and then just use step down rings? Yeah, I do. I, okay. I, I've got, I've got three different ones and I use step down rings to go between the different lenses. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely fine. Yeah. There's no, you, you, I mean, it's expensive anyway. Those things are sort of a hundred dollars. Yeah. They're not cheap. Wanna... I didn't want to buy multiples of no, them if no, I don't no. have to. And it'll work fine as long as it's as long as you're not using like eight step up rings, so it's too far away. It needs to be fairly close to that front element. But I mean, mm-hmm. you should be absolutely fine, really. I've I've just gone back to using it. So um, for those who don't know, like um, they're yeah they're called Promis filters or Black Mist filters, and uh, I mean Tiffin do a range. They're they're usually the ones that I buy, and I buy the quarter Promist, um, which is sort of a medium effect. You can get an eighth, you can get a half, which is a really strong effect if you want to kind of really push it. And it just it just gives a nice soft kind of glow, a little bit of a hellation around the highlights, especially mm-hmm, at night mm-hmm. against a dark background. Yeah. I, I've only ever used them for nighttime photography for lights. I, I tried a little experiment to see how it worked with portraits. I didn't like the effect at all. So I won't ever use them for portraits. Yeah, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't think it would work as well. Yeah, but I, I went into uh, the forest around the corner from me here uh, over the weekend and took some photographs of, they've got the, we've got the wild garlic out at the moment, which just means it's, you've just got this beautiful like white carpet of flowers in the forest. Mm, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. gorgeous. And I decided then to shoot with the pro mist on in the middle of the day. So we're talking like, you know, 12 noon bright sunshine through trees. And it worked incredibly well there because interesting and this is something i've talked to simon baxter about like he tries to make sure and you'll notice this if you look at his imagery and this is obviously a guy who is a woodland photography ninja um he tries to almost never get the sky in the shot Mm. behind the trees he's shooting down into trees because the sky obviously with that very bright background you know can darken things and create a lot of mess and confusing shapes but i couldn't really shoot this scene without that in a lot of ways, but certainly the wide shots and putting the pro mist on kind of softens that transition from those, from those mm. highlights and the, the light kind of wraps around the tree slightly and makes it slightly ethereal. And in that situation, it works really well. And I did wonder to myself, like, I wonder if I shouldn't be trying these more often in the daytime out and about again, like it wouldn't work for portraits for me, but I wonder if I shouldn't just try a little more often. So I've actually yeah. gone back to my Ricoh is now in my bag. It's not coming out at the moment. And I'm, I'm going back to the Sony for a while for the daily stuff. And I've got two really cheap plastic primes from Samyang. One's, mm-hmm, a, one's mm-hmm. a 35 mil 2.8 little pancake primes. And these are and manual the focus. Are, yeah. Or are they auto? No, these are auto. They're, are they really little wow. plasticky things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other ones are 24 mil 2.8. And uh, I, I can fit Promists on these. So I'm going back to those as like the daily things, just these little plastic primes with Promists on the, on the Sony a7 III. I'm going to try shooting the day as well as the night with this and see 
what it does because the theory I think with Promis filters is it does help you attain a slightly more filmic effect because yeah I was gonna say it's gonna your, your stuff's gonna look like a 70s Scorsese film <laughs> not, hopefully not quite that bad but yeah but because <laughs> if you think about it if you think about it like what the the difference between modern digital and old you know analog processes is everything that was old analog was a negative converted to a positive right. whereas we're just shooting positives now and it it kind of reversed which is why you didn't have to worry about your highlights as much on film because those were kind of taken care of first it was your shadow detail that you have to worry about losing because there'd be no information on the negative whereas now we're like don't blow the highlights because there's nothing on the digital so what it what it does is it gives that that very smooth the first of those whites to the first of the highlights that transition becomes a lot smoother the roll off is a lot more gentle hmm. and this promise lifts the shadows slightly i find so it even gives you a little bit more dynamic range i think interesting um so that that effect i think can make it slightly more filmic and then if you go to work and you really you know work on your colors i think you've you've got a sort of analog way to get some of that effect back so yeah mm-hmm. i definitely want mm-hmm. to dig back into that filter but not just in the context of nighttime because nighttime it's amazing like it's everyone knows that's where everyone uses it you you go out with a fast 50 mil in the city with a promist on the front at night and you just find those lovely neons and it will it will make them glow it's gorgeous right but there's probably a lot more application for them which i want to try when, when you're shooting with promist in the daylight are you having are you zeroing out your highlights or are you shooting like a third under what are you what are you doing to kind of help that roll off from from 255 I always I always expose the same way pretty much mm. uh, on digital just protect the highlights first yeah and uh you know if the shadows go dark I'm fine with that and it it serves me well with this as well because if I protect those highlights I can always push up the exposure easily if I want to that's yeah, not a sure. problem ever. sure 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 and and just means that that roll off between them if I do decide to push that uh, that exposure up is going to be nice and smooth but also it it helps those shadows and it lifts them slightly. I've always gone for like a super contrasty look. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure it's going to work. I think maybe with that contrasty stuff that I like to shoot, it'll work against me um, because it's going to lift the shadows when I don't want them lifted. This is why this obsession with raw files and how much dynamic range you can get out of raw files has never really applied to me because I I I would shoot JPEGs on on the old Fujis and still want to crunch the contrast down. So I want less. I want less dynamic range than a Fuji JPEG. So I'm, I'm not obsessed with how much can you recover on a raw file for the for the out and about stuff I do for portraits. It's a different matter. Um, Thousands of people so, just heard a record scratch in their in their minds. <laughs> <laughs> it's only Fuji users. We don't have to worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, we're, we're gonna get emails. Bring on the hate mail. <laughs> Deepnatter at gmail.com. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah yeah it's good that's good yeah. I, i'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with because like i said i i wasn't i mean i've i've seen the effect of them but i hadn't really started looking for one for myself until i started until you and i were talking about it mm. that and a, a variable nd as well oh yeah 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 and and the best ones for those variable nds if you're going to use them um uh you know because i i love to help peter mckinnon out because he needs the help <laughs> he does he does <laughs> um is uh is is his his series from polar pro uh, these mm. nds because variable nds god this is such a techie episode all of a sudden but like <laughs> variable nds normally when you twist them i used to use the tiffin ones if you twist them all the way you start to get cross hatching and strange vignetting in the corners right, right 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 but what polar pro have done with with this peter mckinnon edition is they've split uh these variable nds into two so you get two nds now you don't get a two to nine nd instead mm. you get a two to five and a six to nine okay. and by splitting them you don't twist each one as far and you don't get that cross hatching vignetting um so I've, i always recommend people if you can shell out for those that you what you can twist them as far as you like you'll never have that issue whereas most other ones you have to really pay attention because you can't necessarily see it through your viewfinder but you'll bring the footage in or your photos in late and go what on earth Right. is happening there you get strange artifacting and like vignetting but just in two opposite corners and not the other two it's weird it's very odd do you know what uh, would have yeah. been epic for their for their product packaging mm. 
you know those greeting cards that that have sounds like they have little little jingles or something when you, when you open them up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it would have been epic if when you opened the peter mckinnon edition of the polar pro filters you heard what's up <laughs> <laughs> Scare the crap out of everyone who opened it. <laughs> you have to spit more into your mic, though. That's right. You have to get. Yeah. I, I wasn't close enough. Yeah. What's up? Yeah, and then you get you get a little you get a little spray of something as well. A little spritz of water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wrong, 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 wrong. No, no, no spritzing. No, no, no spritzing. Of course, no. <laughs> of course not. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's good. You should definitely give it a go. I've, I've got a project coming up now, which I, I don't want to mention what it is because it'll probably be the first zine I want to do. But mm. it's kind of out, outdoor and it's also going to include a bit of strobe that I'm definitely going to use these, these pro mists on because I do want that strobe to kind of glow a little bit. So it could yeah. be quite cool. I've still got to yeah. experiment with it, but it could be quite cool. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see the test shots because it sounds, mm. if, if you can pull it off the way, it, the way you described it, I think it'll be yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually hoping to get out first thing tomorrow morning early and do mm. a test. Yeah. Good. So we'll see how it goes. Good. How are you, man? What's going on in your life? I'm good. I'm good. I'm working on painting. I'm, I'm actually going to, I think, uh, I need to find out what their hours are, but I think I'm going down to the Air and Space Museum to photograph some details uh, of rockets and missiles and spacecraft and things uh, cool. that I can print out as emulsion transfers for this new series that I'm working on. Oh, that's so great. I'm, I'm really, really excited cool. about that. And I haven't been down there. They've done a whole renovation and I've not been down there since before the renovation. So I'm very excited to get back in there. I love that museum. Oh, really cool. Oh, that's great. It's great that you, you're producing your own assets, I guess you call them, wouldn't you? For your, for your pieces. That's really cool. I must feel like you've got more control over the whole thing. I think so. Yeah. And, and there's a company called uh, Retro Supply that makes these, um, oh gosh, what would you call them? A- aging kind of, they're, they're, they're digital approximations of analog tools. So mm. uh, you, you get halftone patterns, you get sort of uh, the dot matrices over the top of work. Um, you, you get sort of printing errors and, and you know, mm. all sorts of those, those unpredictable analog things that would happen they they make tools that allow you to mimic or approximate those digitally and they make packages cool. for photoshop or affinity or or whatever and they're not hugely expensive so i think what would be interesting is to get some of these some of these assets these these images and then apply some of these vintage effects to make them to give them that feeling that they've come from another place another time you know mm. um that they're that they're poorly printed uh, handouts that that I've I've somehow come across, or they're poorly mm-hmm. printed, um, you know, posters or flyers or something, and then do those as emulsion transfers and layer layer them over the top of this thing, and it just starts to build. Not necessarily. I'm not trying to duplicate something. I'm just trying to give you a feeling of that period in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm I'm excited about. It. I think I'm I'm in kind of this hardware experiment phase of yep. of trying to see where else i can go um i'm using i'm I'm wanting to use i haven't done it yet but i want to use a thin layer of wax between the acrylic because it binds in a different way and you can scrape through it more easily Mm. and create this this textural kind of grit down to the previous layer that's underneath it so i'm just trying to play with texture a little more and play with it from a from a perspective of visual texture not necessarily dimensional texture, you know, because mm-hmm. if I can, if I can get the look that I'm after and not have to use such thick application of gel, uh, then my, my productivity goes up because the time between layers goes down. Mm. And I find that, you know, when I'm doing some of these things and I, I end up doing layer upon layer upon layer that takes a day or two to dry between I get bored by the end of it. I mean, you and I have talked about that. I, I lose interest or I lose focus and I don't remember where I wanted to go with yeah, the piece yeah, because yeah. I've been working on it for so long. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. It's cool though. Yeah. Do you, do you have like plans about how you're going to shoot this stuff? Like if you've got like, uh, and, and how you're going to process the stuff that at stuff the museum. Into, yeah. Yeah. And then how you're going to get it into the pieces. You know, it depends on, on the subject matter. Some of the stuff is behind 
glass, which is why I've been looking at, at, you know, polarizers and NDs and things like that, just to, to kind of kill some of those reflections. Some of them, you can get the lens basically up against the glass and you're, cause you're shooting perpendicular to it anyway, if they have something mounted on the, on the back wall of a case. So they've taken, they've taken the guesswork out of, out of going perpendicular to the piece out of it, Mm. you know, so that might, I don't know. Um, and again, I, I don't know if they've changed some of the displays. So today is just today or tomorrow if I can't get there today, but it's just kind of a, a recon fact finding thing to see what I can use and what I can't use and, and what, what they've got on display now since, since um, mm-hmm. doing this renovation. I don't know what has changed and what's, what's still the same. Have you seen these, uh, I can't remember who I first saw it from, but you, you basically can get, it's, it's like a skirt for your lens where it's like a, it's like a black, how would you describe it? It's like, it's like, a, it's like a black fabric hood. It's got mm. sort of a wire structure in it that you can, it kind of fans out, it screws onto the front of your lens and then, and then fans out like a cone, basically. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, that's like fabric and probably sticks out from the lens like yeah. know, 20 centimeters or something that you can literally then, you put the end of it against the window and of course it's not picking up any reflections from oh, around. Oh, that's a great idea. Inside this, bra- this black fabric uh, cone so that it can't see the room around it bounce back or anything that's else. That's great. That, that might be a way to do it. Yeah, that's great. You I mean, I fashion something like that on your own. I would imagine so. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I've got a few photos that I wanted to use of some of the, um, gosh, I don't know what you call it. It's, it's kind of the, the, the mission notebooks from the Apollo missions where they're, they're the three ring binders of the different procedures mm-hmm. that they, that they went through. And I've, I've got some older photos that I took, uh, from an, an earlier visit, but to your point, they've got reflections that I can't really get rid of without changing the the tones below them do you know what i mean i could yeah, i could do yeah, something yeah. and and maybe maybe in the way that i'm using them as or a way that i want to use them as transfers maybe it's irrelevant maybe it wouldn't be an issue um yeah but i'd like to at least give myself the opportunity to start with the cleanest plate that i can and then if i if i want it to be distorted or eroded or something i want to be able to have control over that Right, because I assume for your work, you're you're not going to use a photograph necessarily. You're almost going to be turning it into like contrasty line art, kind of posterizing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So by the time you pushed it, maybe it doesn't matter as much. Maybe not, and and that's that's where some of these things from Retrolab kind of come in, or Retro Supply rather. Um, yeah, you know, because it 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 just kills any detail, but it leaves kind of the big the big pieces and and that's that's, that's what cool. i'm after i'm after a specific kind of aesthetic that's cool nice. yeah we'll see i'm excited about yeah. it though i picked up uh an ipad mini 6 and i like it i like the device i've got an ipad mini 2 that i've had since 2013 or so mm. and it it does m- most of what i want it to do the battery has has become you know, it, it doesn't stay charged. It's become less efficient or effective over the oh, really? past eight years. Oh yeah. No, no, no. It doesn't, it doesn't wow. stay charged at all. I mean, it's, I'm lucky if I get, you know, three or four hours out of a full charge. Really? Um, oh yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. And it's, it caps at iOS. Oh, uh, what is it? 12, 12.4, 12.5, something like that. So it's, it's a, a, a fair number of revisions of iOS back. And I, I like, I love the design of the new mini, um, but it exhibits this, this weird sort of jelly effect, which is think of, for those of you who are photographers, think of a rolling shutter where you can mm-hmm. see, uh, horizontal lines or vertical lines appearing to be wavy because of the way mm. that they refresh. And apparently in doing some, some reading, all LCDs exhibit this somehow but it usually goes from side to side. They don't, and it's apparently the way the controller for the, for the refresh is, is implemented. And on previous versions of the iPad, it's been implemented one way. So if you were to set your, your iPad in landscape mode and scroll, you would see a little bit of this jelly effect. But what they've done on the Mini 6 is, is for whatever reason, they've, they've mapped the controller vertically or installed it or i don't know what the correct term is but the 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 device that is controlling it in a vertical manner so that when you're in portrait you're seeing this this scrolling Mm. this jelly kind of effect and my eyes are 
really sensitive to flicker anyway. Um, and I don't know if it's partially a result of my surgery. I, I don't know. But I, once I see this, I can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. Um, does it affect when you're reading a page? No, it only is an issue when, when I'm scrolling. But I don't know if it's enough of an issue where if I'm reading for any length of time, am I going to get a headache from it because my eyes are sensitive to it? Some people it doesn't bother. Some people it does. Yeah. How often do you read on your iPad? That's the main purpose that I bought it. Right. Is to read books uh, right. and, and to, to use it as a consumption device. Um, and if, it, if it's not going to work for that reason or if it's going to, you know, if, if, if the side effect from, from doing that with this particular device is going to be that I can't do it for very long because I get headaches, well, then it's not the right device. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, especially if it bugs you that much or too off, yeah. Yeah, and it all, I can already, you know, I've only had the thing two days and I, I can already kind of feel the effect of, of sitting there scrolling. Um, so I'm not sure. I mean, maybe it, maybe it's a matter of just making sure that my Mini 2 is charged up all the time because that's really the only purpose that it serves is, is to read and, and, you know, write notes or work in bear or something when I'm not sitting in front of the machine, I'm not out in the field doing something. And if I, if I was going to start being out in the field, then something like a MacBook pro or the refresh of the MacBook air that's hopefully going to be released, uh, next month, I think would be a better choice because it can run audio hijack. It can run Reaper. It can run the tools that I use that I would ostensibly be in the field working with. Mm. Mm. We, we, yeah. I mean, uh, so, so your solution would be don't worry about iPad at all then. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's kind of where I'm at with it. And, you know, I do a lot of research on things and mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know that. <laughs> There's the understatement. <laughs> um, so when I got the thing it, and it's not that I want it, I mean, you, you said something before we started, I don't, I don't want it to be perfect. But I want it, I expect a level of, of functionality from Apple because they, that's kind of what they put out into the world. They pride themselves on, on saying that they make the best products that they can. This is in my opinion and a lot of other people's opinion. In fact, there's a class action suit that's being raised against Apple for this very issue. I I don't think they made the best product that they could in this particular case. Mm-hmm. And if I find it less than optimal or even, even, you know, if it, if it becomes headache inducing, then it's not the right product for me. It's not the right device. Yeah. I mean, you, you and I are really different on this. We've talked about this before, like with, Mm -hmm. with, with buying things, because I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not being honest for this. Like, I think, I think like you, you, as opposed to me, if we looked at our Amazon buying history or wherever we buy stuff from, that that your return rate would be far higher than mine. <laughs> Is that fair oh, yeah. to say? <laughs> it, it, well, it used to be. It used to be. Yeah, I, I, in fact, at one point, several years back, I got a letter from Amazon saying, um, here's the thing. <laughs> got the letter. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> if your return rate keeps up like this, we're going to close your account. Right. You know? And I would things like... like you know, I don't know, like I, my, my cycling gloves, I, I think I bought four pairs of them because the stitching wasn't right. <laughs> the stitching just wasn't, you know, you guys can do a better job on this. It's off. It's not consistent. It's, you know, so that kind of thing. And it, mm-hmm. and it, and it bugs me things like that. Little, little <laughs> things really like does. that just <laughs> bug me to no end. Yeah. Um, but then there are things like when I, when I bought when I bought my, and in fact, I talked about this on our, on our morning walk and talk. When I bought my EM1 Mark II, I did a ton of research. It was the butt of many jokes on OTP when, you know, my yeah. search for a new camera. Yeah. But by the time I got to that camera, I was so pleased with it. It was a, it was an instant hell yes. I mean, when, uh, quick story, yeah. I, I reached out to Olympus. <laughs> no, you, can't, you can't do that. There's no ways you could do because, so basically what you're saying is like, after four or five years, I got this camera in my hand and it was an instant hell yes after That's four right. or five years. That's right. Because it was Once after I finally four or got five it. years. Well, because what, what I did, okay, I, I asked Fuji, I said, hey, I, 
I'd, I'd like to get a new camera. I'd like to, cause I had an X pro one, which I still love quirks and all yeah. it, it, it's yeah. X pro one is my favorite digital camera. Full stop. No exceptions. I love that yeah. camera. It is slow to focus. The, the EVF is terrible resolution. Uh, but there is something about that camera. There is something about that first iteration of the X trans sensor that is yeah. absolutely brilliant. It's filmic in the way that it captures highlight and shadow. It's, I, yeah. I can't say no. I love that camera. For, for so, me, it's like the first 5D Mark One. There was something special yeah, about that. There sensor. was something yeah. about that. And, and you just, it doesn't matter. I mean, the X Pro 2 has better specs on paper. So anyway, so I asked, I asked Fuji if they would send me one. They said no. I went, okay. So I asked Panasonic because I was looking at, at then the, the G9. Uh, mm-hmm. G, GX9, G9. Anyway, one G9, of those. nine, I think, yeah. Yeah, the one that James Popsis uh, was using for a while. Um, right. And they, you know, no response. And I reached out to Olympus. I'd started reading about the EM1 Mark II. And I was like, God, it's really expensive though. But you know what? I'll reach out to Olympus. I, and I asked them if they would send me one. And they got straight back to me and said, sure. How, what do you want? How long do you want it? I said, I don't know. How long can I have it? And they said, how about a month? Great. So they sent me an EM1 Mark II and the 12 to 40. And I think, I think I said on the, on the, the walk and talk, I think they sent me the 100 to 300 Pro. Mm. And man, I loved it. It was like a little mini Nikon D700, D300. You know, all the buttons felt great. It, ergonomically, it just felt fantastic in my hand. And th- th- that was it. I loved it. It took me a long time to get there. But, but once, w- once I got there, how did Adrian say it? What, it was something to the effect of if something's a hell yes for me, it's going to be a hell yes immediately once I get it. Mm-hmm. If, if it's not like this iPad, it's not going to become a hell yes. Right. It's not a hell yes now. I, I, could, I could live with it, but it's not a hell yes. Mm. So mm. if that's the case, then what are we doing? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I've, I'm very different to you in that. I think, like, I, I mean, we, I've, we've talked about it before. I'm sure is that, you know, I, I sold all my Canon gear, all my Fuji gear, in one day. Uh, yeah, and I, I, left it, I left it all at the store. I took, <laughs> I took all my camera gear, like everything I owned, for like three different systems for photos and videos, because I'd done the research and I knew that the Sony cameras were the right the right choice for the work that I wanted to do and I looked at other people producing great work with it and I thought well I have no excuse because look at what these people are doing with these right. cameras right so I, I I know that I can't blame the gear I have to blame myself yeah so which I is a, never that used... in and of itself Sean is a big statement that that admission is is something that you and I both know people who aren't they're not quick to make that claim no they'll blame gear quick yeah and that, look and, and there are limitations with with particular sorts of gear, but by and large, I think camera companies in particular all make great cameras these days. Mm-hmm. You don't get bad cameras and you can look at, you know, the people who use those cameras and go, wow, the, the people are doing amazing stuff with these cameras. It's up to you how you use it and whether you do a good job with it. Yeah. So anyway, I, I dropped all that stuff off and then I came back, you know, there, there was two hours where I took myself for lunch where I didn't own a camera at all as a photographer. <laughs> and then I came back later and they packaged up Basically, I, I dropped off, you know, four camera bodies and probably, I don't know, 15 to 20 lenses, basically. Mm. And I came back and they had two A7Ths for me and uh, a 35, a 50, a 85 and the Tamron 28 to 75, which is a cheap mm-hmm. 24 to 70 alternative. And, and to and be I fair, knew, you, like, you selected all of these things. It wasn't just like, hey, what can I get? for this oh, trade. No, 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 you no, selected no. I, I knew what I wanted. Yeah. yeah. I had to put yeah. a tiny bit of money in on the top as well. And yeah, I, I knew what I wanted. I wanted everything in one backpack. I knew exactly what I wanted, but again, I hadn't used any of the lenses before and I hadn't touched an a seven three in my life. So I, I, I didn't even consider ergonomics for example. Yeah. Because I'm like, it's kind of irrelevant. It's a camera. If it doesn't feel good in my hand, that's not, it's not there to give me a hug. It's there to do a job. I'll, I'll get around that. You know, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not, this is not a relationship. This is like, I'm buying a hammer to, to whack a nail in a wall. It doesn't have yeah, to. Yeah. But there, there are better hammers than others. Well, you see, there? but this is, this is why we're so different because you're like, <laughs> yeah, but this one's got this, like, I like, I love red. Like this one's red. And I'm like, I, I do, you know what I mean? It just doesn't matter to me at all. And, and I've, I've never felt sentimental about my cameras. Yeah, uh, I still I still don't. 
I mean, in all honesty, the little Rico, which I used to run around with so often, like that thing has awful ergonomics, right. awful. It's very hard to grip. There's no grip on it. It's just a, it's just a very flat, tiny brick. Like it's really difficult to hold. Right. But it doesn't matter because it does what I want it to do. And 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 I've always had this super pragmatic um, idea about about things like that. So when it arrives, if it's not perfect or it doesn't feel like it doesn't make me feel the way I want it to, like I kind of kick myself in the ass and go, "Well, go out and do something with it." Like why are you why are you and I, th- I think I've always been hard with that. But the negative side of that is I do put up with stuff I shouldn't, I think. Right. Like, I think I think somewhere in between us is probably a good person yeah. to be, as usual. Yeah. You know? yeah. like, like, I think, because, and I was talking about this before, like, you know, I've just had a deck put in my garden, you know, and the guy who's done it has made a hash of it and it costs a lot of money. And I'm going, yeah, Oh, it's dead. But, you know, he tried and he, he made some mistakes and now he there's tried. like marks all over it. He tried. <laughs> bless his heart. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I am now I am now quietly resentful of the fact that I've bought something that is not really what it should be. And I just don't want to cause a fuss. Right. And that's that's stupid because I, I like he probably wouldn't care if I said, hey, can you come back and fix this for the third time? He's fair. probably surprised but, that you haven't based well, on that's, what that's other it. people so, would do. So I'm a mug. Like people see me coming, they go, oh, he, you know what? He even said to me when he was doing the garden, he even said to me like, ah, oh, you know, you're really easy to work for. Some people really complain about everything. You don't complain about anything at all. I went back inside feeling good for myself. And then I thought, hang on a minute. He's working on four <laughs> different gardens at the moment. If he's going to cut corners, I'm the guy he's going to cut corners on. That's right. Because I That's don't right, say anything. That's right, because you're not going to say anything. Which is not a good person to be either. So probably somewhere in between us is a, <laughs> is the right mentality where we're like, we don't we don't get too sentimentally attached, and it, it is still about what we do with the thing rather than how we feel about it, or or how perfect it feels in the hand, or that kind of stuff. But also that we don't we don't accept bad stuff, and we still like stand up for ourselves. It's probably is probably a good thing to be, yeah. <laughs> or, or just be you. <laughs> like, what, what, no, no, no. I don't do it. I don't do it right all the time either. And, you know, like I told you before, I, I can talk myself into or out of pretty much anything (laughs) where I get confused. Which one am I doing right now? Am I, am I talking, am I trying to talk myself into it or am I trying to talk myself out of it? Which side of this, this razor am I on? Yeah. It it gets very blurry very quickly. Yeah. I I wonder, like, I I wonder what it is that makes it confusing because I know what you mean. It's it's because I think I've I've got like a I've got a weird guilt thing about buying new things, mm-hmm. um, and I I I think you have too. We've talked about it yeah. over the years. Like I yeah. think like it, somewhere in my head I don't deserve nice stuff. Like same. I think you have the same problem. Yeah. So same. I reckon there's something of that in it. Like I've I always have buyer's remorse, not because I think it was a bad choice. It's because when I've got it, I feel good. And the second I feel good, I feel bad. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so and if weird. It's, it, I, I don't allow myself to buy things for pleasure. Yes. You know, I mean, I've been talking about buying an Xbox, for example, for, for years. And I, I, yes. I know I won't because it has to be, I have to find a use for it, you know? And, and I can't just, God forbid, I just allow myself to have something because it's, it's fun. You know, nope, there has to be a use case. There has to be, you know, like with this iPad, it's like, well, if I'm not going to use it out in the field to get work done, or if I'm not going to be productive with it, I can't, I can't just let myself have it. You know what I've just realized? Maybe that's why I'm so pragmatic about buying cameras, because if I do that, I circumnavigate the, I bought myself a nice thing. So I can tell myself it's only a tool and then I don't have to feel guilty for it. There's no pleasure in it. Do you know what I mean? Right. Maybe I do right. that. Maybe right. that's why I do that. Which is silly, but because I, mean, like, I do, I, there's cameras I want. Yeah. I, I do. I want a Hasselblad 500 CM. I want one, but I'm, I'm not going to buy myself one because it's just a nice camera to have that I'd enjoy for myself. I wouldn't use it for jobs or anything. And I would never buy a camera for myself like that. I wouldn't let myself do that. Right. Despite the fact that you can point to a dozen photographers who you admire who use that very camera to take the photos that you admire. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to be Irving Penn, you know, <laughs> that's what I, that's what I <laughs> right. want to be. Right. I mean, right. I, I would love that. And like, yeah, the, the, the shots you get out of that are, 
are pretty special. That kind of you know six by six medium format portrait on a, on a nice fast. What it, what would it be like an eighty mil? An eighty mil, yeah. Eighty mil equivalent, equivalent two point eight. Lovely, beautiful, yeah. gorgeous. I'd I'd love a I'd love a Pentax six seven with the one hundred and four. Like I would love that for portraits. It's a gorgeous camera. I mean, I've always wanted one of those. That that for me. It, you do not get a better, for my money, you don't get a better portrait look. Than, uh, than same. I would agree with you on that. Yeah. Pentax 6.7, that 104, was it the Takumar? It's, it's Takumar, a, yeah. It, it's a killer combo, that. It's, nothing's beat it for me. Yeah. I would absolutely love one of those setups. I will never buy it for myself because I know I won't be able to use it for work. Um, and, I, and I don't feel like I can have nice things unless I can justify as a tool. Just so dumb. It's, it's yeah. That's that's the thing. That's yeah. that's exactly the thing. If and if it's it's this weird mental game of hopscotch that I play with myself. I okay, here's, can here's I, a tough question though. Yeah, yeah, sure. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. Here's no, a tough no, no, question. Do you think when you buy something that you've wanted and it arrives, do you get that same like, oh, I shouldn't have bought this for myself, I feel bad. Yes. And then do you think that you go looking for a fault to justify sending it back. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. Good. <laughs> because I totally understand that. Yeah, I, I do. totally understand that. Oh, I bet, I bet that's more common than we think. Actually It'd be interested to hear from people on that. Like if you, if you have the same. Yeah. If, if this rings true for you, please send us a note or, or send us a voicemail or, or something at deepnatter at gmail.com. Cause I I'm with Sean. I would love to know. And I wonder how much it has to do with, you know, uh, our upbringing and how we were taught about money or how we saw yeah. families deal with money. I, yeah. wonder, I wonder if it's like a psychology thing that gets in your head at some point And it's sort of, yeah, because I do know people who don't care. Like they yeah. buy themselves stuff all the time and they just love it and they don't care. They don't send it back. There's no guilt. There's no second guessing. And they, they just move on. You know, they don't, they don't think about it. But I think you and I both in different ways kind of obsess about it. Yeah. I, well, I, I can tell you part of it is a reaction to my father. Mm-hmm. Because my father, if he wanted something, he would buy it, period. Mm. And it didn't matter how much it cost. It didn't matter whether he needed it or not, could use it or not, could justify it or not. It's, it's exactly the same for me because my mom was terrible with money. Mm. She would also just buy whatever she wanted and we'll worry about it later kind of thing. And when I left home and, you know, went to university and then started working for the church, uh, it was also because at the time I had no money, like working Mm. for the church. I can clearly remember two or three years in there where I was at seminary in the morning and I had managed to write letters to a bunch of different churches to, so that they would sponsor me to get through seminary. So four years of tertiary education was paid for by sponsorships because wow. I couldn't afford it. And my, right. my family were not going to support me becoming a priest because they thought like I'd been brainwashed. They didn't want anything to do with it. Right. Um, and then I was working at an, at a school doing aftercare teaching in the afternoons um, for primary school kids just doing homework with them. So you made no money, but it was just something to do in the afternoon to try and make a little bit. And all of that went on rent. Like I just couldn't, I, I didn't have anything left over. I, I, there were many times where I was splitting cans of baked beans in half and spreading them between meals because I wow. couldn't afford food. Wow. And that was, a, that was a few years in there. And I remember being in that situation and looking at my family and looking at my mom, you know, spending money the way that they were mm-hmm. and just going like, no, no, I know the value of this now. I don't have anything and I, right. I don't have anyone helping. Like I'm in trouble here and there's no one coming to rescue me. And I think that's just stuck in my head. Like I don't mm. take for granted anything I have. I'm very careful with what I buy because I also, not only do I want to be careful because I don't want to take it for granted for myself, but I also know there's lots of people who don't have things. Sure. And, and, and I feel that comparison. Like I feel that I don't ever want to be called extravagant. You know, Same. it would feel bad to me. Like yeah. I'd, fe- I'd feel guilty for some reason. Yeah. I, I know that's, I know, and I don't want to put that on anybody else. That's my own personal weirdness. And I'm not yeah. suggesting yeah. if you've got money and you spend it, that anything wrong with you, you're absolutely fine. It's just for me. Same. But yeah, it's definitely kind of lodged its way in there, but it started with that. I want to be different to my family who, who blow money. For mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then there's the whole, you know, worth deserve i don't deserve this i don't that's a whole other 
thing to unpack, but there's that that's in there too. That's in that mix too yep. with everything yep. from, yep. you know, socks to iPads. <laughs> it's all in there. <laughs> it's a small hole. I do too hole. think okay. about it with clothes. Like I, yeah. buy, I buy cheap clothes. I do too. I bought, I bought secondhand lenses most of my life for, for yeah. my cameras. I, I don't, I don't, but look, and I'm not rich or anything, but I, but I, but I've had enough money at different points in my life where I could have bought the new things and the nice mm-hmm. things, but I didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's uh, I don't know. I don't I don't I don't think it's good. Like I I don't think there's anything wrong with being frugal or careful or something for the right reasons. But I think in both our cases, there's probably it's probably a little bit insecurity driven and like bad self esteem driven, which is probably not healthy. Deepnarrow at gmail.com if you're the same kind of weird. Yeah, please let us know. <laughs> we don't want to please be alone. Please let us know so we don't feel alone. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> oh, man. Subscribe to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything in your favorite podcast app and support the show by leaving a review or a rating wherever you listen or by sharing the episode on social media. You can help support everything I do more directly by tapping the donate button at jeffreysedoris.com. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S. And to those of you who have tapped that button, thank you very much. I do appreciate it. Connect with Sean on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Tuck. That's S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K on his website at seantucker.photography or by searching for Sean Tucker on YouTube. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Jeffrey Sidoris. And you can connect with both of us by sending an email or a voice message to deepnatter at gmail.com. As always, thanks very much for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your attention. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you'll come back for the next one. <laughs>